Welcome to Small Business Sisters, where two sisters who started their own separate businesses come together to share all things business growth and personal growth. Every week, they will share practical business tips that they have learned along their journey and share their individual perspectives. So grab a drink and join the sisterhood as we discuss all things womanhood, motherhood, and small business. One of our most asked questions on Instagram or when we do question boxes is, please tell us more about wholesale and consignment. And so if you guys have been following Jenny and I for any amount of time, we have experience with both and we will do another entire episode wholly on wholesale. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That was um, great. But today we are going to deep dive into all things consignment. And because we each own a brick and mortar shop that consign people, we're going to give you the store's perspective. So if you're coming from a position of wanting to host people to consign, that's going to be extremely helpful for you. And then we'll also, um, Jenny doesn't consign, she wholesales, so she'll take over the wholesale episode, but I consign in Jenny's shop actually, and I've done some other shops as well. So I'll be able to give at the end, like feedback for if you're wanting to consign in a local or not local to you shop. Um, and so we'll go over both parts. So we're going to start by, um, if you are wanting to have people consign in your shop, we're going to give you a list of things to answer in paper format. And what we mean by that is make um, like a flyer on Canva or a media kit or somehow have these things written down. And it's almost like a wholesale agreement that Jenny has talked a lot about of like, this is what you would hand a potential consigner that they could read over all their agreements before you actually legalize it in place via a signature. Yeah. And I think right off the bat, the important thing as a store owner is to decide how you want to get consigners. Like I know there's a few different models of um, like shops that have booths where they're you're renting essentially a little mini shop within their shop. So you're in the, the makers in control of what the booth looks like, maintaining the booth, etc. So there's obviously different terms to that. And those shop owners usually are always putting it out there like, hey, if you want to rent from us, here it is. Then there's another model, which is the model that Light and Pine Collective uses, is where we we want all our products kind of mixed in so it feels like a home. So there isn't a booth rental. Um, we just do a flat consignment fee on whatever products we sell. Because as the shop owners, we want to be in charge of curating what products are in there. So like, we don't advertise a lot like, hey, come consign with us. We are very Mm -hmm. intentional about who we bring on because we want all our products to kind of seamlessly complement each other as well as not have um, any direct competition, like all kinds of wood makers or multiple uh, candles or things like that. We want to be able to hand pick who consigns with us. So we will have people reach out and we just really see if it's a good fit for us at that time. And maybe it's not right then, but it might be in the future. Or maybe we can recommend um, another shop that does more of the booth model because sometimes that's better for artisans if they want to control more of what Mm -hmm. 
their setup looks like. So mm-hmm. just know everything mm-hmm. I'm going to share is coming from the model of like one big store that mm-hmm. you wouldn't be able to tell like, oh, this section is this person and this section mm-hmm. is this person. Um, yeah, so just I would know we- that. Go ahead. Sorry, Jen. When when you're in that sort of model as well, I think it's really important to make sure that the consigner and the consignee mesh because in the end, like someone who consigns with Wildflower, Melissa and I are the ones representing their items when they come into mm-hmm. the store. So you really want to make sure the vibe of the store go, kind of goes with your products. The consigner, um, so the shop side wants to make that sure of that too, that it meshes with their store. The consigner, the shop, when I talk about the consigner, I'm talking about the shop. Um, the shop, the brick and mortar shop wants your stuff to do well. They're never mm-hmm. going to want to have your stuff because both of you are going to benefit from it. the item selling. They're never going to want someone's items in there that they know they know their people better than anybody because they're the ones there. They're never going to want to host something that they're like, mm, this really doesn't line up with the people that come into our shop. Um, right, again, it's right. nothing against the product. It's that they know the people so well. They know what their people need and want. And so they, of course, want to have things in there that will move as well. Right. Yeah. So the first thing we do uh, when a consigner approaches us or we seek out a consigner is we want to tell our consignee. I'm going to get confused with the consigner. Yeah. So um, let's call let's call the um, the people who are going to consign their items at the shop. Let's call them the maker, even though it might not always okay. be a maker. maker yes. And then the the person who is going to sell that item in their shop, let's call them the shop owner. The shop owner. Okay. So we like to tell a story first when someone approaches us. Um, just to kind of like, it's kind of just explaining your brand or your vision and why they would love to be at your shop. So we have um, a consignment agreement. It's a one-page sheet. And we actually, after we do the little, like, vetting isn't the right word. But if we know, like, yes, we want to move forward with this artisan, then we give them this one-page PDF we've made um, of a consignment agreement. And then the ball's kind of in their court if they decide, like, yes, this is a great fit for me. So we Mm -hmm. um, do a couple of paragraphs just about, like, what is the mercantile like what is the shop we tell them where it is what's great about Batavia just kind of like a highlight reel of what you love about your shop you want the maker to like envision themselves in your shop and why Mm -hmm. they want to be excited about that and just some highlights we have like our patio or the ability for other pop-ups to come in or the other shops like when your stuff is there, people are also visiting Desmond Brown, Lily and Pie, and Unboring Granola. So that mm-hmm. is kind of like our little highlight reel. And then we talk about us as owners, just a couple sentences of like who Susie and I are, you know, why we're excited about having your product. Then we go into consignment terms. And again, on a document, you don't want to be too fluffy. So our Consignment terms are just like right out there. You don't want there to be any misconception. So Mm -hmm. we tell people exactly what the consignment fee is. Again, we don't do a rental model. So it's really up to the artisans how much product they bring in. And no matter what, there's a flat fee um, of the percentage of the sale that we keep. 
And we also explain what the fee covers, because I think that's important now being a shop owner that I understand is important to communicate because as an artisan, there were times where I thought like, oh my gosh, they're just profiting off of me. But now Mm -hmm. I understand all that goes into owning a shop. And Mm -hmm. really that consignment fee is going towards all those things. So like for us, this, the consignment fee covers rent or goes towards our rent. It doesn't even cover the whole thing. Credit card processing, this uh, POS system and the fees that come with just all, like we use Square. So all the subscriptions and things we need to have through Square for the elements Mm -hmm. that we use. Um, Advertising, there are times that we have to pay for marketing materials or um, the bags, like our stamp for our bags, our website, things like that. We also have to buy things for the shop, like the toilet paper in the bathroom and the cleaning supplies and, you know, all certain utilities that we have to pay for. The internet. So all Mm -hmm. those things add up and your consignment fee, it's kind of like, I like to imagine it like, you have a shop so even you're not the shop owner but like your shop those are the expenses coming with that like if you had a shop Mm -hmm. you would have to pay for those things so this is like okay if I'm giving a small portion of my product to sell like Mm -hmm. those are the costs that would come with that to get it to the customer right and even even without internet electricity, like, okay, you haven't chosen to get your own shop, the bag cost and the POS system and the square feeds alone are so astronomical. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for a long time, we weren't charging enough consignment fee to even cover those. So we were basically paying that out of pocket as wildflower. And so even without like the normal bills that M- Melissa and I agreed to pay when before we had consigners, it's all that extra stuff that really adds up. Right, right. It's just the cost of running a shop. So you can think of it like, this is my portion, that my share of mm-hmm. um, having my products sold. So yeah, just, and you're getting exposure without even having to be present. Yep, yep. So yeah, and that's also employees. Like, um, you, you know, if it's not Susie or I working, we're gonna have to pay somebody to work. We do offer, so then this is the next line is we will reduce uh, the consignment fee if um, artisans would like to work one day a month in exchange. So that's an important thing to put in there. If there is anything you want to offer to artisans um, to reduce their consignment fee, like what would that be? So for us, we've chosen that. Like, hey, if you want to work, because that, again, that helps us. If they're working one day a month that we don't have to pay someone to work, then we'll trade off and reduce the consignment Mm -hmm. so we have that in there and then in consignment terms as well so those are like all the numbers logistics then we put in like the most asked questions we get so we often get asked about stock like how often do I restock or um what do you need me to do for my stock that I bring in so we list out that we would like all the products to be tagged Because another thing, since we're not the booth model, all our products are mixed in. We want customers to know who you are and who your brand is. So we want your name to be on your product. So then let's say the customer takes um, 
this go waterproof go bag home and they're like, well, I need a bigger size, then they have beautiful chaos's information on the tag mm-hmm. that they can co- contact her directly and get that. So we ask all our items to be tagged. So the customer already has that maker's information. And then we also ask for you to send us a list of your inventory and the price. So then we can put it into our square and print barcodes that then our square can scan when we sell it. And the important part about that is anything the maker lists on the inventory is what we put into square, which is then we provide a sales report at the end of the month with that exact information. So let's say Christina wanted to know which design of her headband was selling. Then on our inventory list, she's going to put floral headband and the price. Mm-hmm how many there are so then mm-hmm. when we pull the report at the end of the month she's getting exactly that back like mm-hmm. five floral headbands sold mm-hmm. um so that's something we ask from the maker too is like their list of products we put them in square we print the barcodes and then at the end of the month we provide them with a report of exactly what they sold and we uh wrote in there that our we will issue a check from our bank so it will be mailed to the maker that first week of the following month. So um, that's all the stuff we put in our agreement. And then we do have a part that our attorney helped us with that the maker signs that like Leighton Pine Collective can't be held responsible for things like theft, um, breakage, you know, like normal wear and tear that happens in a store. Like Mm -hmm. we have set up that we will not be held held in liability of that because sometimes that stuff just happens so you want to make sure you list that out maybe you are maybe you like give a certain allotment of um you know we will recover damages of you know this much which probably might be more beneficial in the booth model because that is really so much more inventory can set up by you but any mm-hmm. any legal thing you want in there you just want to make sure you're having each party sign so that mm-hmm. if those things come up, they're just already in there and you know how mm-hmm. to handle them. There's no surprises. Um, from the consigner's side, the maker side, um, I would went ahead and jotted down some things too that I would want a shop to include in the paperwork so we can go over a few of those. And that's only because I feel like when you set expectations it makes it easier to be like, you're not meeting my expectations. Um, I feel like when we, sometimes I get um, a little passionate about some things that our vendors aren't doing, our makers aren't doing, but I've never set that expectation with them. So why would they do it? And so um, some things I haven't written down um, is a social media shout out. So um, one of the most simple things somebody can do is, you know, once a month, twice a month, three times a month, whatever you decide, share that their items are actually in your store. Um, I think I I started adding that to our consigners recently, but uh, you know, if you want to put a set number, great, then somebody knows that they're re- reaching your expectations. But if you just generally, generally want to say in your agreement, you know, at least once a month sharing that your products are in our store or whatever. Um, yeah, that's a great point. Uh, let's see what else do I have written down? Oh, uh, I would in the frequently quote, ask questions include like sales tax as far as like who 
submits that because I know Jenny and I, the the shop owners usually do that on behalf of the makers, but that might not always be the case. Um, so including that, <clears throat> and that's also, I would say part of the fee is remitting sales tax takes a lot of time. And so doing that on behalf of the maker too, um, you talked about that. Oh, here's some good ones that I kind of want to chat with you about because I'm not sure there's a solution or how you word this, if this would be in the legality, legality portion of the agreement. But number one is what happens if items don't sell? So you've already said, we ask you to restock every eight weeks. Okay. What happens if the items before that didn't sell? What happens? Yeah, that's a, that's something good to bring up. We haven't, so we also have, um, like we have an email list. We kind of keep going and a Facebook group for those that aren't in Facebook, we make sure to email it too. But um, our artisans are pretty good about, they'll come in and replace things regularly. We also pull things seasonally. So, um, shout out Ellie Nitz if she's listening, but she has great like holiday items and she totally understands, for instance, that she made knit Easter eggs. Well, we're going to pull the Easter eggs after Easter. Mm -hmm. Unless she tells us like put those on clearance, but we also Mm -hmm. know you all don't always want to put things on clearance and the Mm -hmm. Easter eggs, like they'll work for next year. So we always Mm -hmm. try to just pull our makers items and give them back to them so that they can use them for the next season, or they can choose to, you know, sell them on their own. But that is, you're right. That is important to have of like, we don't want product to just sit there all the time because customers get used to seeing it and then they're less likely to buy it because it's just Mm -hmm. been there so long so it's important to have like fresh items so much and maybe you even include something on the agreement that has a checkbox of if my items don't sell within the eight week period I would like you like have a checkbox where it's like put on say on your clearance table or check mark you know message me and I'll come pick up or I will pick up my items um, yeah. And that way, you know, for sure, like if they would rather it be in person where people can see it, but they lose another 20%, 30%, then, you know, some people might optionally do that. Like I don't live close to Jenny's store, so I would rather her put them on clearance than ship them back to me. Back and me to so right. like, that's right. something that I'm like, yes, they're already there. So maybe even including that, but that brings up a really good one too. Cause I put on there, um, one time, And having consigners does make sales a little iffy because it's not everything in your store. It's just right. Yeah, we run into that. Yeah, yeah. And so we had a maker. She didn't know we don't put maker stuff on sale, and she saw us post a sale post, and she was like, "Are you putting my stuff on sale?" And so including that as a frequently asked question too. And I always assure them like we never put our consigner stuff on sale unless they've voiced that they want us to do that. Um, So that would be a good frequently asked question as well. Um, We also just added in recently, um, just because of a value we discovered that we have (laughs) is we in our consignment agreement say like, if you choose to sell with us, we ask that you don't sell in other Batavia shops. Uh, just out of respect for the other shops too. Like you don't want to have, you don't want to be too saturated in one town because 
then you're causing those stores to kind of compete with each other. And we never mm-hmm. want that to happen. So we totally understand. We tell our makers, like if they decide to sell in another shop, that is totally fine. But we don't want to sell in both shops because we want to create like a community working together feel and not like make sure you go to this shop to get it instead of this one. So we do ask like within Batavia to just be at mm-hmm. one shop. Um, that's good. Just in, to honor the other shops and, and you the, as a maker. The last thing I have written down, and again, this might be part of your legal jumble, but, um, and I don't know how you would word this. Maybe we can talk about it. Um, of if from the consigner's side or the shop side, if it's not working for one of the parties, like how do we dissolve this? Like, for instance, if someone's stuff just isn't selling and, um, but there's no restocks happening or anything like that, they just stop showing up. Like how, what's the correct way of like, is it pulling stuff from the floor and then reaching out to them to come get their product? How do you dissolve that agreement, et cetera, et cetera. What does that look like for you guys, Jenny? Uh, that's a good question. And so we have had um, a couple makers move on and, and luckily, and I'm really grateful, none of our relationships have, nothing has ended badly. It's always been like one maker decided she's not going to do her business anymore. So pulled her stuff and another maker uh, was moving and it was just too hard to ship her stuff and decided Mm -hmm. not to do it. And so they both, you know, were really gracious in bringing it up that they're like, you know, this is why I'm not no longer going to sell. And we were totally fine. And I think in the situation you're talking about, I would probably like, depending on the person in my relationship with them, you can bring it up in a really like non-combative way. Just be like, you know, I, I've noticed that you haven't been restocking. I know you're really busy and I'm just checking in to say, do you prefer me to pull your thing? Like, would you no longer like to sell? Are you able to bring in more products? Like kind of bring it up to them so that they can give you an answer. And then if there's not, then maybe get more firm. But I think most people don't want to be a burden to you or whatever. Mm -hmm. So if you like, just bring up like, you know, here's what I'm observing. Do we need to like mm-hmm. reevaluate if this is the right place for you mm-hmm. or what? But it can, how all do you, that stuff's messy, I feel like. And how do you feel about, um, like, again, the store owner knows their people the best. And so they might not want to dissolve a relationship with a certain maker, but say like, but this product is selling really, really well. Can you restock that instead of, you know, the things that aren't moving? Um, again, I know a conversation would be helpful, but if there's no action on that conversation, that's where it gets tricky of like, okay, but you're not bringing a restock. Um, the other stuff isn't selling and that's where it's, it gets messy of like, do we pull this? It's really, that is a great place where you can take like the personal part out of it. Cause we did start with a maker at our boardwalk shop and we just felt so bad her, um, things are super high quality and a little bit higher price point than the rest of things in our store. So they just weren't moving. But when she does it in more high-end places, they move like crazy. So we Mm kind of just brought up like, you know, we want you to be successful. And 
if that means like you selling over here, then let's do that. And that's ended up what we did. Um, but I think you can just try to bring it to a place of like, look, we both want to do well. So like, what's mm-hmm. the solution for this? And that, that mm-hmm. could be like, you know, these higher price things aren't moving and I know they take a lot of work. So would you be willing to make maybe a few lower price point items and see mm-hmm. how those do, you know, and take these things to a different market? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And I know Light and Pine doesn't wholesale a ton. Um, but for Melissa and I, I will say like when we see something moves and it moves quickly from one of our consigners, we are definitely like as we build our brand and as we build our finances, we are, those are the first things that we want to stock as wholesale. And so um, you make a little bit of percentage more, it's more upfront um, because it's in bulk. So I will say that like, again, the maker is for you or the maker is for the shop too, but the shop owner is for the maker and they want to see your stuff do really well. Jenny consigned her candles with us for a long time and they were moving so quickly. We were like, it makes more sense for us to wholesale these and, um, and, you know, buy in bulk and all of this stuff. And so, and there was another product that we had on consignment that did the same thing that we have now consistently wholesaled. And so that's something to think of too. When you see a product moving really quickly, um, people are just going to more likely want to build that relationship even more and wholesale. Um, and, and from the shop side as well, my, the people that we have who are our makers the ones that are able to restock more often and not just restock, but just switch out inventory, they often sell the most product. They just do. And I, I don't know the, the mindset behind that. I don't know if it's because people are seeing something new um, or what, but I, I could pull numbers and show you that our consigners who are making more are the ones that are consistently coming in and changing out product. Yeah. And I get asked a lot, like why I choose to do wholesale versus consignment. And that's something you just have to decide as a maker. For me, it came down to the consigning takes more of my time. And did I want to give more of my time? Because really you are choosing, you're curating the products that you put in the shop. You're Mm -hmm. deciding when to restock. You are doing all that. Where at wholesale, it's a, it's like you're a, a less price point, but less work as well. So like the shop is deciding exactly what they want and the schedule they want to reorder. So all I have to do is make the order and get it to them. Mm-hmm. So for me and how my business works, like that made more sense versus me going to these different shops and like maintaining my setup and, you know, switching things out. Like it was just mm-hmm. easier for me to just fill wholesale orders. Mm-hmm. So you kind of just have to decide based on your product and your uh, business life, like what mm-hmm. works best for you. Yes. And I, I have so much grace for the maker side because I also am a make, I'm a maker in Jenny shop. I don't restock light and pine as often as I should. I don't live local, but it's something you really have to have on your to-do list because it, because a wholesale order isn't coming through, you have to actively remember, oh yes, they're probably low on product. I need to go right. double check what I sold, what they need more of. Um, and con- so I get the fact that a restock isn't always on somebody's mind. I just have to set up, like make the, be active, be actively like fighting that urge and like putting it in my calendar where it will remind me like check in with 
um, flame pine or add that to my to-do list for my, um, for my shop of like maybe every third Monday I make 10 go bags or whatever to send to your shop, whatever it might be. Um, like filling that into your schedule, because that is the difference I would say in consignment, obviously consignment, you, um, the maker makes a little bit more than wholesale, but you have to actively be thinking of restocking and fitting fitting that into your schedule. So it's more like, I see what you're saying. Wholesale seems a little bit, (laughs) wholesale seems a little bit more passive. Like, yes, it comes when it comes and it doesn't, when it doesn't, fill the order consignment. The Mm -hmm. consignment is more, again, more of your time, just like you were saying, which is why you make a little bit more doing Mm -hmm. consignment. Yeah, because it just Um, takes a little more intentionality, I think. Let's talk about, uh, from the maker's standpoint, what are things that they could actively do to, what? so you've talked about the shop and the consigner standpoint of trying to get makers in. What about if a maker is really wanting to consign somewhere? Where would you start? Oh, that is such a great question because one of my biggest pet <laughs> peeves, I don't know that this bothers Susie as much, but sometimes we'll have people come in the shop that know nothing about us. Like it's so obvious because anyway, and then like pitch to me about selling there. And I'm like, my okay, so and again, this is just my personal ethos, I guess, but I want to like know you and at least like know that you have a relationship with my brand or my shop that then I want to bring you into that brand. If you are just like, it feels like a cold call to me almost when you just like approach stores that don't know you, I feel like that's going to give off the wrong vibe. You probably don't want to give to that store. So Mm -hmm. like, if you really love a store, um, develop a relationship with them. And that might just mean like you go there and introduce mm-hmm. yourself one day without pitching, you know, yeah. that you want to sell there. But Or, or interacting with there. them on social yeah, media. or interacting on social media. Or obviously like taking a liking to their shop. I think I think that's just so much more, again, it just brings like, the person back to our, we're all people, we're people makers mm-hmm. and people shop owners. And it just goes such a longer way to know that you care about this business. You're not mm-hmm. just a salesperson being mm-hmm. like, hey, sell my stuff. Like, and again, well, and it's, that- it's, it's the same as we were saying in the beginning from the shop's point of view as, okay, so my shirts sell in Jenny's shop or my shirts and headbands, et cetera, sell in Jenny's shop. If I didn't know Jenny and Susie, they're the ones promoting my brand. So they are tied at that point, they're tied to beautiful chaos. And so from the maker standpoint too, it's so important to know that your brand will jive with these people. Mm-hmm. We talk about branding. We've talked about it with Miranda. The way people feel about your brand is your brand. Like the mm-hmm. how people, how it makes people feel is your brand. And so if, if I have established my brand to feel this way, but then Jenny and Susie have zero pieces of that, it's probably not a great fit for my stuff to be in there. So you right. cold calling light and pine, if you don't know anything about it, you might not want those people representing your brand at all. Yeah, that's really true. That's a good point. 
Yeah. So I, so, okay. So to bring it back to your question, if you have a shop that you'd really like to sell in, my biggest piece of advice would be like develop some kind of rapport with that shop, whether it is like commenting on their social media, um, visiting their shop and shopping some something that you're not just walking in and making it super obvious that you have never been there you don't know anything about them but you're like uh because not every shop is the same so you don't want to just pitch your pitch your sale to Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. random shops because you want to be in shops like Mm -hmm. get to and how would so let's say they've built that rapport they either come in in physical person or email you or your social media. How would you like, do you want me to, do you want me to say what I would say? Sure. <laughs> like how I would word it is I would, because you've built that rapport or because you've researched and learned about this brand, I would probably say, Hey, I make, I own my own business where I make my own products. Cause I know that that's really important to your brand. Right, you're only going to consign with brands that promote makers. If you're a maker, that makes sense. Um, and I have followed you for a while, and here's what I love that your brand does. Give an example. We'll use Wildflower as example. I have followed your brand, and I love that you guys promote community over competition by doing a boutique crawl every year or whatever. That's that tells me, whoa, like that was three months ago. Yeah, you knew that about it. You've paid attention or you've gone back and done your research. And because that's so important to y'all, I would love to have the opportunity to be considered for consignment in your shop. And even if you wanted to do a wholesale account, maybe include that, I would love to be considered for consignment or wholesale. Um, You know, Wildflower would come back to that and like now from the shop side say like, thank you so much for reaching out. We love filling our shop with local makers. Right now, we're not able to establish wholesale relationships, but we do consign and would love to give you, you know, your account a a follow. I usually start with that, that we're going to follow them because that you know, we're going to learn like who they are. You then are, we yes. research about them to see yes. if they're a good fit for us, right? Yeah. So they've done their research on us. Now we need to go do the research on them. And then that's when this media kit or um, consignment agreement that we just discussed, that's when like after following them, you know, Melissa and I will kind of both do research on what they sell. Will it, do we think it would sell in our store? All of that. Then we'll send them this agreement and say, hey, here's our consignment agreement, read it over. If you think we'd be a good fit, fit, drop it by during our store hours or whatever. Yes. Yeah. And I want to just reiterate to anybody, uh, this, my feelings on this are like mostly because of the model we've chosen of where we do create like a home, uh, home style shop. It's not the booth model. So if Mm -hmm. you are looking for like going to have your own booth, then cold calling, quote unquote, is fine. Like that's not uh, unforeseen to go to a place like that that consigns booths because that's less about like you have to fit in a store's brand. But if you're wanting to be in a shop that is more like this where everything's very intentional and curated, then that's where you want to just make sure you have done a little research about that shop or like presented yourself in some way or like Christina said just um 
said something to them to let them know that you are watching. You're not just like randomly trying to get into shops. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, so as we wrap up, I think that's where I would, and then you just decide, you look over the agreement. If they have a, they keep 70%, you keep 30%, that would be a heck no to me. Cause I was like, <laughs> right, right. Um, we will say like, we, I think majority of consignment is between 35 and 40%, at least as I did research, that's what I saw. Wholesale yeah. is obviously 50-50, so just a little less than that. So in that realm, um, I say it's pretty normal. Now, if it's the opposite and it's the 70-30, that's where I would be a little bit hesitant to join that agreement. But if you just want exposure, maybe it'd be yeah. worth it to you. Um, we'll, we'll connect you with Miranda to see your worth in that. Um, <laughs> but I... Then if it looks like it's an agreement that you can abide with, then I would send them the agreement and get follow up with when can I drop my items off at your store yeah. so that you can get in. Um, as we close, uh, Jenny has done consignment in the past. And then, of course, I'm currently doing consignment and we both have the other side. What are what's if someone's considering consignment, Jen, what were three pros for you doing consignment? Like, why would you consider it again if you didn't have your own brick and mortar? Yeah, consignment was great because you really are in control of the amount of product you're putting out. Um, so that's something that's why consignment was great for me starting out because I was in very small shops. I had a very small amount of products I put out. So it was a great way to get started. I didn't feel overwhelmed with like now just because I have my production down and like batching and this is my full time job. Wholesale is a lot more doable for me because I can get those out in a timely manner. So consignment was just a great way for me to start out. It was a great way for me to get exposure and meet other makers. Um, yeah, the only reason I don't do consignment is just because for me, doing both consignment and wholesale would would get messy. I feel like just because of how candles are produced. So mm -hmm. it would be harder for me to maintain both. Um, but consignment was a great, great fit for me for a time in my business. Yeah. And I think about if I didn't have my own shop here, I would for sure be hitting up one of the local boutiques to get my product in mainly for exposure. I mean, people shop in those places and I would love to get new faces that don't know my brand. The reason why I do Gen Shop, obviously I don't sell locally there. So I the, I love it because it gives me exposure. And I know that it gives me exposure because I get orders from that area all the time <laughs> from people I don't know. Because obviously I know a lot of people up there. I lived up there, but I get people I don't know. And they specifically say, I saw a shirt in Lane Pine. It wasn't my size, but I really want to order one. And so I know that it gives me exposure in an area that I'm not already in. Um, mm -hmm. I love what you said about meeting makers, especially Jenny and Susie do such a good job of um, uniting their makers and us getting to know each other. They do a lot of social media posts that uh, combine all of us together. They get to say that they're all women makers, which is really cool. We have a few guy makers, um, which I think is also cool just because yeah. you don't find a lot of guys that make. But um, I, I think consignment can be such a good point for you to get exposure and also figure if you're really lost on who would benefit the most from your product, 
having your product in a live shop like that, where there's all different ages and Mm -hmm. um, types of income and all of that, it'll really help you see like which one, which of your stuff sells to that market of people um, and help you figure out the marketing standpoint too. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Mm -hmm. And also gives you feedback from a middle man of like, of that feedback of, hey, this is selling really well and this isn't to help you know what people are liking of yours and what prints are really popular. And it gives you almost like a, you know, you have a bias as a maker of the prints you like, but to get that feedback from a different area and a different, uh, again, different subset of people is really helpful. So if you're considering consigning, those are some really practical steps from the consignment side. And if you own a shop and want to get more consigners, hopefully that will all help you. Um, And for the legality piece, I don't think we said this, make sure to grab an attorney um, that would, that would be worth the investment just to have them look over it. I know that you can even um, get one online to review, review your stuff, just that you are handling someone's product and they're handling money and all of that stuff. So you don't ever want to get super messy and, and gross. So grab, grab an attorney to look that over. Um, and if we have an attorney listening who would like to be the go-to person for that, you just let us know. Um, but as <laughs> always, we're glad you joined us today because we never want you to do small business alone. We're better together. Join in the conversation by following us on Instagram at at underscore small business sisters. Make sure to introduce yourself because we love to follow and support other small businesses. And if you love the podcast, we would absolutely be so grateful if you subscribe and leave us a review. Every positive review helps other small business owners to find us. Remember, don't do life alone. We're better together.